Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Low Blow Booking Podcast. My name is Derek Cornett, and I'm so excited to be talking with you once again, uh, sitting in your ear, coming at you from iTunes, Podbean, and other mobile uh, your mobile listening devices, uh, checking out what we've got going on here. The Low Blow Booking Podcast has exploded over the past month, our 1988 trilogy. Um, you know, started off with uh, probably the biggest bang that we've had yet when myself and Dave Hall went through uh, the Royal Rumble 1988. And tonight, we continue the trilogy. We are going to be moving forward and moving towards the big event that is WrestleMania 4. Now, in order to do that, I brought in a very special guest. As we talked about last week, um, we're going to be having three guests as we go along. Dave Hall, join me for Royal Rumble 1988. And my friend Jeffrey Jalka is going to be joining us right now for WrestleMania 4. Um, and Jeff, I want to welcome you into the Lobo Booking Podcast. You've become a, a pretty good uh, seat number two here, so thank you very much for joining me. Well, well Derek, first of all, th- thanks for uh, asking. I know I know this started about a month and a half ago, and uh, I, I tried to, to kind of take a back seat and have somebody else come in for WrestleMania 4, but... You know, obviously that didn't work out. So, so here I am now, and we had a lot of fun. I would say the last, you know, three weeks, you know, going from the Rumble and then going into WrestleMania. Now we really have to build up the next one because, uh, I mean, you know, normally the WWF is the, you know, WrestleMania is the crescendo. That is where the old feuds die and new new feuds start. So uh, we we definitely have a lot of action. We have a lot of new feuds starting here uh, to move forward to. Uh, to, to SummerSlam 88 and uh, what what you and Mr. Criscola will bring to the table. That's right. Myself and Scott Criscola, the Place to Be Nation, will be um, looking at not only just SummerSlam 88, I think that's kind of the last part of it, but we're going to be looking at everything that happens from WrestleMania 4, the one that we create, to SummerSlam 88 and how it finishes up. Um, you know, it's just something that uh, I think all of us are fans of this era, of this year of wrestling, and um, to get all of us together to do this project, we've all worked together, we all have uh, pretty much the same modus operandi when it comes down to it. Um, I think it's it's one of those really special things that we're doing here with the Low Blow Booking Podcast, and um, from the looks of it, people are enjoying it. And, you know, I want to urge everybody, again, send this thing out on Twitter, send it out on Facebook, any other social networking, uh, you know, sites that you use let people know about what we're doing here because this is a pretty special project and i'm looking forward to what we can continue to do again here at the low blow booking podcast we look at angles matches uh we look at wrestlers we look at um feuds and now this time we're looking at almost six to eight months of booking and how can we change this for the better um you know i'm, I'm really excited about what we've come up here with wrestlemania 4 uh so jeff let's start off by talking about your thoughts on the Rumble '88? What Dave and myself did to set us up to our point here? Well, you you, you did a great job of building the feuds within the Rumble. Now to to rebook a Rumble and to talk about it is very difficult because there's so there's so much action going on in the ring, and the way you guys broke it down by talking about five entrances, you know, like 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 five numbers per. And then, you know, you talked about the storyline in between that time period of, you know, that 10 minutes where the, the five guys was coming. I thought it was, it, it, was, it painted a clear picture for the listener uh, to be able to understand what exactly is going on in the Rumble and then moving forward. Absolutely. And the Rumble is such an organic event. Um, 
I just got WWE 2K15, um, and I've been, you know, playing through my career mode, and and I've been watching and listening to Rumbles all the way throughout, um, just because it's it's my favorite event. I, I put that over last time, um, but to be able to listen to some of those things that were going on and, and watching how. Um, how these matches just come together. I really like the way that we did it, and uh, I think the fans did too. We've gotten a lot of positive feedback on it. Um, the big thing that we talked about were the feuds. Um, and, you know, before we get going here with WrestleMania 4, I want to start by talking about the title situations. So, at this point in the WWF, we have the pretty much defunct women's tag team championships, which we're not going to be touching on. They were decided uh, with the Jumping Bomb Angels at our last pay-per-view, uh, Royal Rumble 1988. Um, the women's title, again, not on our forefront. Um, it's not something that we're going to be uh, adding to our mixture at this point. I think we've got a lot of other things that we're going to be able to go through. So let's start with the World Tag Team Championships. Now, last time that we spoke, the World Tag Team Champions were Strike Force. Uh, we had the main event in which they defeated the Hart Foundation. And, um, you know, they've continued to build. But alongside of that build has been this team that is indestructible. And they are Axe and Smash of Demolition. Um, with our Intercontinental Championship, the Honky Tonk Man uh, barely escaped the Rumble when Randy Savage eliminated him last. He did get the number 30 entry. We went on to the main event and Savage beat him. But he did retain the title. So Honky Tonk Man is currently our Intercontinental Champion. Um, he's had a pretty good build up to this point. And we've got a slew of contenders who have been looking at an opportunity to take that title away from him. And then we have our world title. Now a lot of people were questioning what was going on with our world title after last time. At the Royal Rumble we had the contract signing between Hogan and Andre. We went to the main event. In February, and we had the exact same thing happen that happened in real life. Andre and DiBiase, with the paying off of the referee, the taking of the title, handing it to DiBiase. We spoke about the Saturday night's main event, and that's where we're, we're going to begin our discussion right now. So, Jeff, the last time we spoke, we talked about the Saturday night's main event. In between the main event and WrestleMania, where we have some cloud of confusion over our world title situation. So bring us to that event and let us know what's going on with the world title. Well, as you know, Andre beat Hogan uh, with the, with the uh, the chicanery of the referees, and Andre had the title and he presented it to the Million Dollar Man Ted DiBiase. He forfeited the championship and gave it to the the Million Dollar Man. Now, Jack Tunney kind of held off on making his decision, and it it, it just came about. That uh, Andre the Giant, as champion, can do whatever he wants with the title. So, therefore, he forfeited it to the million-dollar man Ted DiBiase, and Jack Tunney ruled that Ted DiBiase is the heavyweight champion of the world. And, obviously, at the Royal Rumble, we had the first time uh, we built that Royal Rumble matchup. So, the winner of that Royal Rumble was going to receive a World's Heavyweight Championship match at WrestleMania. So at this point, we have our world heavyweight champion, Ted DiBiase, and we have our number one contender, the macho man, Randy Savage. Now, we did change that match around because we did not have them face off against each other at um, Saturday night's main event. Um, so this match is fresh in our minds. Savage is quite possibly the hottest 
babyface in the company at this point, not named Hulk Hogan, obviously. But on top of it, he's got this wave of momentum from this huge matchup. Now, before we get started, let's talk about what happened at the original WrestleMania. Um, they, they put forth a 14-man tournament. Um, it started with a battle royal. We had Hercules and uh, the Ultimate Warrior. We had uh, the British Bulldogs and Coco versus Bobby Heenan and the Islanders. We had Honky versus Brutus Beefcake. And we had Strike Force versus Demolition, along with the tournament. And we, I can respect what the tournament did. I think that there's a certain grandeur that the tournament added to the event. But I think when Jeff, you and I talked, it, it, we wanted to change it more to make it uh, a bigger event, um, more synthetic with what we're trying to do, and uh, a way to, to put over um, the big storylines that we have moving forward. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Now, the WWF had so much momentum going from the Rumble. Now, now we're talking in real time, from the Rumble to the main event where you know 33 million viewers watched uh, that main event, that prime time on NBC out of uh, Indianapolis at Market Square Arena. So they wanted to continue to build on the momentum they had. So, so Vince kind of felt that, uh, you know, holding WrestleMania four in a bigger event in a bigger venue would would make more sense. And you know, with what we have here, um, we can speak about the Trump Plaza here in a couple minutes. Um, but uh, with the event that happened, I think we can both agree that um, there were pieces of it that are really good. There are pieces of it that aren't so good. Overall, the event probably isn't looked at as one of the greatest WrestleManias of all time. I do think it's in the top 50%, if not right at the midline. Um, but uh, we, I, I definitely disagree with you there. I, I think the, the matches were, were all short. Yeah. Um, you, you, you could almost see that the way the tournament brackets were laid out, you kind of knew who was going to get past the first round. And it's interesting because it was actually different when they initially released the the tournament brackets, do you remember that? Yeah, um, I, I was actually when I was doing a little bit of research, I was watching some of the, uh, so I guess some of the event centers that that Mean Gene had, and the the DiBiase bracket was actually at the bottom, switched with uh, Jake Roberts and Root. Yep. So it actually had DiBiase at the bottom. It's it's almost as if, you know, may, maybe they were they were thinking of a different ending for WrestleMania. But I think probably about a week prior, they actually moved DiBiase's bracket up to where, you know, if Andre and Hulk, the winner would, would actually face the, the winner of the, the DiBiase-Duggan match. Yep. Um, well, DiBiase-Duggan and Morocco and uh, Dino, um, putting, the, putting all that together. It was interesting to see that, um, to see that change and how they, how they did that. Um, you know, moving forward with uh, the plan, obviously, there's a lot of talk about uh, DiBiase winning the tournament, winning the, winning the world title. Um, you know, there's a lot of rumors about Hogan, obviously Savage. Um, but with what we do, we are building from that Royal Rumble 1988, so definitely go back and check that thing out if you haven't yet. It's on Podbean and on iTunes. And we're going to be setting up our show today. So, Jeff, I think without further ado, I think it's time to get going. Mm -hmm. All right. So, who better to lead us in to WrestleMania 4 than the man that did it on that fateful night. Let's go to Mean Gene Okerlund. Hello, everybody! Welcome to WrestleMania 4! 
All right, Jeff, there he was. Mean Gene Oakland setting the stage for what could go down as the greatest WrestleMania of all time. Um, and, you know, when we put this thing together, we wanted to look at how could we make this event bigger. Um, obviously, with the trilogy, we want to make all the, the storylines tie in together. Um, but I think there's a lot more to this. I think there's a lot that happens before we even get to this point. So I'm going to I'm gonna hand it over to you. I want to hear um, some of your thoughts on this as we, as we did some of the prep work and, and set the stage for our... 1988 Low Blow Booking Podcast, WrestleMania 4. All right. Well, as thank you. And, and as the listeners know, since Thanksgiving 87 with, you know, Starcade and the Survivor Series going head to head uh, and then Crockett going to head, going up to New York to have the, the bunkhouse stampede at Nassau Coliseum while Vince was holding the Royal Rumble, that there was a lot of back and forth going on. So Vince took an opportunity. He saw the momentum that, that his uh, organization had with all the viewers tuning into NBC. So he figured he's going to battle Crockett because he knows that he's having a clash of champions at Greensboro. So Vince wants to hold, you know, he wants to go off of the, I guess, the momentum of having a big, uh, you know, stadium to host WrestleMania. So he, he shopped around and, and found a good deal. He decides to hold WrestleMania 4 in the New Orleans Superdome on March 27, 1988. And one thing about the Superdome at this point, we're fresh off of that UWF uh, sale, the Mid-South sale to the NWA um, at this point. Um, there is still some, some knowledge of the UWF, and at this point, Vince McMahon has got a very UWF-heavy roster. Um, we look at some of the names, obviously, Duggan, DiBiase, One Man Gang, the Junkyard Dog, even Andre had a big name in Mid-South. So I think that can add to some of the um, expose of why we want to go down to the heartland here uh, and go down to Cajun country and put together this big event on such a big stage. I, I couldn't agree. I mean, you know, talking in pre-production, seeing that the roster he had, a lot of people from the South are going to recognize the wrestlers that are on this card. So, so that will be able to draw in fans as well. And I, I think, you know, New Orleans, you know, with their, with their history of hosting Super Bowls, Final Fours, National Championship games, that they can, you know, they can house an event, you know, big as WrestleMania. So, so he filled up the stadium, 84,000 plus at, at WrestleMania 4 in the New Orleans Superdome. And Jeff, I think 84,000 is such a big number to think about, but when you go back to the previous year, 93,000 um, at uh, the Pontiac Silverdome, um, I don't think it's a, a far stretch of the word to think that it could happen. And I think with the roster they had, on top of all the momentum that they had going into this event, um, it's definitely something that, that could be perceived as uh, you know something realistic. Absolutely. And, you know, continue to use that momentum. You know, you can you can fill that stadium with the fact that, you know, we're going to have, you know, Hulk Andre three, the rubber match. We're going to have, you know, DiBiase defending the belt against the, the hottest wrestler in the world right now. I guess maybe outside of Sting, which is with, with the Macho Man. 
Yeah, and so you're you're gonna draw a big crowd. Absolutely, and the name values there, the WWF name, WrestleMania name, which I think at this point is now starting to to really grab hold. Um, I think all those things put together, um, we've got something pretty special going on. So you know, one of the big things about WrestleMania three and four and two and one were the celebrities. Why don't you lead us into some of the celebrities that we're gonna be having here at WrestleMania four? Well, as you know, for for WrestleMania three. And, you know, and WrestleMania 4, they kind of toned down the amount of celebrities. So here, you know, looking back in 1988, that some of the celebrities that really could have made, you know, WrestleMania 4 a big impact on the on the pop culture point of view. You know, the first name that, ju- that jumps out to me is Gary Shandling. He was a comedian that had a hit TV show on Sunday nights called The Gary Shandling Show. It, w- it was more or less like a just a just a regular, you know, like like sitcom show. But, you know large audience. So I think that's going to bring in some some of the uh, the pop culture fans. Also, uh, a star actor who had uh, a couple hit movies out that time by the name of Danny DeVito and he was also uh, interviewed and he was seen at the War to Settle the Score and the first WrestleMania along with Joe Piscopo. Yep. And then finally to to round it out, you know, I think Vanna White is is the perfect uh, female uh, pop culture host who was at the original WrestleMania four, and I, I think she fits in uh, here great. Oh, absolutely! I think Vanna was just gorgeous, and I loved, I loved the question at the end: Who would you take, Vanna White or Elizabeth? I, I always thought that was a um, a pretty good, pretty good little you know matchup. Who would you take? I mean, I personally probably would have taken Vanna because she has held up over time. Um, but you know, it, at that point in time, I mean, they were two amazing looking women. Yeah, fair enough, and uh, I'll, I'll leave it there. My wife might listen. I don't know. <laughs> All right, okay. so let's start so, it off with America the Beautiful. Who do we got singing? Well, since we're going to be in New Orleans, and it, it's, it's home of jazz country, you know, I can't think of uh, anyone better than New Orleans' own Aaron, Art, Ivan, Charles, and Cyril, better known to the world as the Neville Brothers, uh, singing America the Beautiful. All right. To, to really, really pump up the New Orleans crowd. I think we can have that be a, a big event, you know, in the middle of the ring and, and really pushing the envelope with, um, you know, just the culture of, of New Orleans and, and really trying to make it a home event, you know, for the WWF. Absolutely. Let, let, let's do it big. And then, uh, obviously, our announced crew uh, for this evening will, will be the, uh, you know, the famous announcers from the initial run of WrestleMania's uh, Gorilla Monsoon and Jesse the Body Ventura. Howard Finkel will be the ring announcer. And and, and I think uh, I just want to point out one quick note. Since we're in a dome at WrestleMania 4, we're going to use the old school carts, you know, equipped with the ropes and turnbuckles that you saw at 3 and saw at 6. So there, there's no reason that we can't pull out that bit of nostalgia to have those ring carts being a ring uh wrestlers out to the ring oh absolutely i thought that was always a fun bit you know everybody looks forward to to those and uh you know reusing something that that makes sense and um you know we're still not at the point where we have this amazing production of a big wrestlemania set um but with this one you know we we've got those nice little carts and i i think people enjoy those and i think it adds to the overall effect of the uh you know the atmosphere of the show in in general um now, before we get started here, uh, let's talk about Gorilla and Jesse. At this point, um, I would say Gorilla Monsoon and Jesse Ventura are, are at their zenith. Um, you know, definitely the some of the best work that they would be doing over the next, you know, from three to uh, from three to six, 
those WrestleManias were all made a little bit more special because of how good these guys were. Um, I personally think that this is one of, uh, you know, Jesse and Gorilla's best outings, especially uh, for Gorilla, um, you know, with the amount of things that are going on. And sometimes you can see his naivety throughout the event, but, uh, you know, Jesse keeps him on point. So it's a pretty good, pretty good showing for those two. Absolutely, because, you know, Jesse Ventura, when, when he does, you know, work with, you know, McMahon, Alfred Hayes, you know, Mean Gene, he kind of bullies them around a little bit. He doesn't do that with Gorilla. You know, he might argue with Gorilla, be like, oh, Gorilla, you know, you're, you're wrong. But, you know, he would never, ever insult Gorilla Monsoon. Yep. So so you, you would have Jesse Ventura, you know, obviously he would play the heel role. But at the same time, there would, there would be a, that, this, that mutual respect between the two. Absolutely. And I think that adds to the overall um, effect of the show when you watch it on TV because of how good they played off one another. And, and when we break down our card, you're going to see how well um, they would work with each other throughout the entire event. So, Yeah, and excellent storytelling during the match, and we're going to point that out. All right. So needless to say, we've got the celebrities lined up. We have got the event lined up. We've got an arena. We've got everything set. And now it is time, ladies and gentlemen, to start WrestleMania 4, um, the 1988 trilogy of the Low Blow Booking Podcast. And uh, what better way to begin than with somebody who is known in the Mid-South UWF area. Um, at this point, he is starting to really come into his own. And that is about, that actually happened at the original WrestleMania 4. And that is the Ultimate Warrior taking on the mighty Hercules. Um, so, Jeff, we talk about this about being, uh, you know, against two big strong men. Um, but I think you and I have a little bit different of an outlook on it than what happened in real life. Um, let's talk about that a little bit. Absolutely. Now, the, you, you, with your opening match, you want to get the crowd fired up. You want to get the crowd on their feet cheering. You, you, you don't want to set, set off the, uh, the event in a, in, a boring, in a boring manner. So, you know, what better than to have that Ultimate Warrior music hit, have them running, you know, bypassing the cart and just running down the aisle, jumping up on the ropes, you know, shaking the ropes, you know, using all his energy when he comes out to really get the crowd pop. Absolutely. And I think that people would go nuts at this point because of how over the warrior was getting um, with this feud. It's been lining up since um, it's been lining up since the uh, Royal Rumble 1988. We did have um, some issues between these two. They ended up eliminating one another at the Rumble. Um, so we've got a, a ready-made feud to go here. Um, and, and with this uh, with this card, uh, lay it down for us. How does it go? How does it go about? Well, as the Ultimate Warrior comes out, he's shaking the ropes. Hercules jumps up, you know, try, tries to hit him with a couple shots, trying to stop his momentum of the Warrior uh, when he's trying to get in the ring. But the Warrior absolutely just no-sells Hercules' offense and makes quick work of Hercules, hitting the Gorilla Press Slam and the Splash for the 1-2-3 in just under a minute. And, and I would say the crowd never had a chance to take their seats, and they just continue the pop for the Ultimate Warrior. And then... Hercules and Heenan, as they're getting carted off, humiliated by the loss, you know, Heenan's going ballistic on the way out, berating Hercules for not executing his game plan and, you know, kind of sticking the finger in his chest while Hercules just kind of has his, his head down as they're being carted off and the Ultimate Warrior is, is, is playing to the crowd. And, and with that, you've solidified the Ultimate Warrior as a legitimate threat. He is now a cream of the crop, top tier um, bound baby face. He's not there yet. He's getting there though. 
We put him over on the biggest show in, in a match that people will remember because it is our opener. It's the first thing you got to see tonight um, with Hercules. Okay, he, he loses a match here. Um, it comes down to him and Heenan really arguing. And we know what happens throughout 88. And I think this is a pretty good way to set that up for Hercules. Um, and, and Scott Criscola and I will, will go over that in the future. But uh, out of this bout, we've got some pretty good stuff happening, uh, you know, in just under a minute um, inside the ring. And then, you know, a couple extra minutes outside. So uh, we may have... We may have shit on the uh, original Rumble or the original WrestleMania for having some short matches, but I think this one really, really makes a case for for having a good reason to be so short. Oh yeah, because you, you don't, you don't, you don't want uh, the Ultimate Warrior. To, you, you just want him to look, you know, super strong going forward. Yep. Um. So after that, the Ultimate Warrior goes to the back. Uh, Bobby Heenan and Hercules are arguing. Jesse can't believe what has just happened. Uh, Gorilla Monsoon puts it through the roof, and now uh, we get ready for our next contest. Uh, the next matchup features um, some upper mid-card heavyweights. The the Barber, Brutus the Barber Beefcake, taking on the natural Butch Reed, um, and he is with the Dr. Sal Slick. Both of these men um, come off semi-successful runs at the Rumble. Um, Brutus, of course, defeated Greg the Hammer Valentine. The natural Butch Reed was in the Rumble, had a pretty decent showing, uh, ended up getting eliminated. Um, but, you know, for the most part, he's a guy that we've been building up on TV to this point because we know that he can really do something with himself um, given, given the proper, uh, you know, the proper push and the proper people to go against. Absolutely. So, so let's talk so, about this matchup here with Brutus and, and Butch. Okay, this show is off to an exciting start as the crowd really gets behind Beefcake as he comes out on the cart. You know, the, the, the crowd's really cheering Beefcake. He's, he's got a solid following. So when the match gets started, Beefcake gets the early advantage against Reed. But then the natural reverses the tide and then uses his strength advantage to get Beefcake in many two counts. Now, Beefcake will mount a comeback after Reed misses a knee drop off the second rope. Beefcake then whips Reed into the ropes and gets the sleeper on him. Right before the referee rings the bell, Slick comes in from behind and attacks Beefcake with his cane. Beefcake then drops Reed and grabs Slick by his suspenders and begins to pull him to the corner where his bag of haircutting tools are. As Reed lays unconscious in the middle of the ring, Beefcake pulls out a set of clippers and just begins to cut Slick's hair. Two full passes right down the middle of Slick's head with the clippers before the one-man gang hits the ring and, and, and gets Beefcake from behind. By this time, the natural wakes up, and they just beat the barber down. One man gang hits two giant splashes onto Beefcake before they leave the arena. Slick covers his head with his jacket, and the three cart off to the back, leaving Beefcake in the middle of the ring, uh, beaten down. So at this point, um, you know, with the way that we talked about this, do we have Beefcake going over with a DQ at this point? Then, absolutely, the ref rung the bell when Slick came in with the, with the cane, all right, and, and hit him from behind. So, so Beefcake comes in. Um, with a, a big DQ victory here, but you know the the one man gang, a UWF Midwest or Mid South stalwart, um, comes in and lays down a, a big beatdown. People know who he is, so they can sympathize with Brutus a little bit. Um, start to build him up more. Um, I, I like it. I like it a lot. I like that um, early on we have given the fans um, some things that they really want to see, um, and we we've really punched them right in the in the face with like. We're getting at you quickly here. We're going to let you know that this show is going to be special. Um, two hot matches with 
with a couple of really big uh, big names for the WWF and uh, you know some storylines to boot uh, to go on with it. Um, so next up, we've got our uh, third match of the night. Now, last month uh, we saw both, or last month at the, or last time at the Royal Rumble, we saw both of these men in losing efforts. Um, this match features Greg the Hammer Valentine and Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Um, the the nice thing about both of these guys is that both of them are still contenders no matter what. They have name value. Um, people know who they are, and on top of it, they're good workers in the ring. So, Jeff, when we look at this matchup, um, what are some things that we want to come out of this uh, when all is said and done? Well, as you said, both men took a loss at the previous pay-per-view, at the previous big event. So both both these guys are absolutely in need of a win in order to, 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 to stay as contenders for the Intercontinental title. And Gorilla and Jesse really hype up the contest, saying that the winner of this match would still be in, con in contention for a title bout in the future when the loser would end up buried because of that second loss. And I, um, I look at the... I talked about it last time. The Intercontinental title race has got to really mean something because... There's the guys, If when I look at the WWF, there's the world champion, and then underneath the world champion are those main event baby faces that, um, or, you know, main event, or upper mid-card main event guys that don't really need the title that much. Underneath them, you have the, the intercontinental champion, and then underneath them, you have the challengers who are building up to get to that point. And then underneath them, you just have your mid-card guys that are there to, to do work and, and take up time on the shows and, and have likable characters. At this point, I want to really build that, that, you know, that contender for the Intercontinental title up into the contenders for the world title. I want to build that up in such a big way, um, and I think that starts right here. Absolutely. So, so as the match gets started, like I said, Gorilla and Jesse, they said, you know, the winner has to win. So it, it starts out stiff and brutal. You know, the hammer dropping those those big forearms and Steamboat coming back with, with the karate chops and the, and, and the, uh, the karate style moves. <clears throat> so Steamboat gets the advantage, you know, body slams uh, Valentine, then goes up the top rope for a signature high cross body. But when he hits it, Valentine uses momentum to reverse the pin. Hook the tights for the, for the one two three, and Valentine sneaks out and goes away from the winner. So so the dragon, like I said, he's the one. You know, you look at you know you you take a year back, you look at WrestleMania three. He had one of the all time great matches against the Macho Man, but now he's kind of really taken a step back by by losing two key bouts. And I think the the thing to remember with with um, Steamboat at this point is how much longer does he have with the company? Yeah, he, he's actually on his way out because, you know, you know, he, he has a new family. His, you know, his wife just gave birth to his son, and uh, he actually wanted to take some time off uh, with the WWF. He, you know, he didn't have a title. He really didn't have a, a, a big feud going on, but McMahon wanted, still needed him for dates, I guess, you know, to, to put over other guys. And he was just like, you know what? I've had enough. I'm just going to walk away then. And, and I think that, you know, with this matchup, Greg Valentine has um, solidified himself as a, a real mainstay in the WWF at this point, and somebody who we kind of, we need to rebuild him a little bit so that we can break him down again in the future, in my opinion. 
He's a guy that, that is going to lose to some of our big key guys like he did to Brutus earlier um, in the year. Um, we want to build him up so that wh whomever he faces at SummerSlam, whomever he faces on the house show circuit, um, they walk out of that feud uh, you know, primed and ready for maybe some title contention and maybe a, a big headlining feud. So, yeah, that, that, that's a great way to, uh, to, to use the hammer, you know, moving forward. Absolutely. And, and with that, you know, he gets a big win here. Um, and I think Jimmy Hart at this point is also now um, starting to rebuild some legitimacy with his, um, with his men. Um, I, I'm going to put it out there right now. And I know that people are going to hate it and they're going to disgrace it and they're not going to like it at all. But it's my opinion and it's my show, so I get to say that. I think that Jimmy Hart is, A, one of the most underrated managers of all time, and then, B, I would put Jimmy Hart's tenure with the WWF, oh, what's the best way to put it, head-to-head -head with Bobby Heenan's, and I would even give Jimmy Hart a slight edge because of how well he did holding down the mid-card and the tag team, tag team divisions. I really think that he... It did so well during this time period, putting guys over and making them seem um, a lot better than they were. And maybe that's not the popular opinion, but it's my opinion. Rarely on major shows was Jimmy Hart a part of the main event scene dur during this era, the Federation era. There was only one time I could think on a major card that he was part of the main event picture was probably you know with Earthquake and Hulk Hogan at, at SummerSlam 90. And I thought Jimmy Hart was fantastic. Uh, during that feud, Jim, Jimmy Hart was was always that guy that that he could get his heels over. You know, he he enhanced his his characters. You know, whether it be the Hart Foundation, whether it be you know Danny Davis, uh, the Honky Tonk Man, whoever he was with, he he usually built them, and he had titles. A absolutely, he he's just such a a, a good manager, such a, a good character. Um, really adds a lot to. Um, the overall aspects of, uh, you know, what his men were. And, and I think right now is a really good time to build him up because at this point, um, Andre, is with, uh, Andre is with DiBiase uh, for Bobby Heenan. He's got his stable of a couple of guys now, um, and we can start to rebuild both of these guys and, and really make them more legitimate as we're going in um, to, the, to the big year that is 1988. Yeah, so in, in talking about Bobby the Brain Heenan, his man, the King Harley Race, is in the next match. And and we're going to have the King Harley Race, who, again, a Mid-South known guy, UW, not so much UWF known, but Mid-South known guy, um, definitely uh, was down there with the NWA title a time or two. And he is going to be going up against, um, arguably, um, maybe you could give it to somebody else that we'll talk about later, but yeah. arguably... The most, uh, you know, known babyface that came out of the Mid South era, and that is Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Um, yep. Duggan, and and when we talk with Scott, we know that Scott doesn't like Jim Duggan, and I'm going to give Jim Duggan a little bit of credit because I've gone back and watched some old Mid South stuff. He did do a pretty darn good job for what he was worth, but it wasn't much. But for that crowd and in that time period, it worked really well. And I think that's what gave him a little bit of extra lore that, that built his WWF career. At this point, we have Jim Duggan versus Harley Race. Um, let's talk a little bit more about this match here. Yeah, this match between these two is for the title of King of Wrestling. 
And as you know, you know, Race has held the title of King of Wrestling since August of 86, a full year and a half plus. And uh, I actually liked uh, Race's run with the WWF. Um, you know, the, the thing that McMahon used to do, you know, he, he kind of, you know, ribbed a lot of the, uh, the NWA Crockett guys as they came in, kind of like what he did with Dusty with the polka dots and, uh, you know, being just a common man. But uh, he really did, a, 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 I think, a, a lot of he, a lot of respectful decisions when it came to race. You know, gave, gave him the title of King of Wrestling and, and had him win uh, one of the, the King of the Rings, you know, back in 86 and actually had him with the crown for a long time. And I think what, what race is not an intercontinental champion at this point. Race is not a, a world champion at this point. But the King of Wrestling? Absolutely. I mean, this guy had done it all, and he could still go for what it was worth. So I, I agree. I, I liked races. Uh, I liked races run, and I liked what he did. Uh, you know, with the king title. Mm-hmm. So in this match, you know, the, the crowd went crazy when Duggan came out because you know they're they're so familiar with him. Now when the match starts, it you know it, it was kind of a back and forth. You know, Duggan got off to a hot start, but Race got the upper hand on Duggan. Now late in the match. Uh, Bobby Heenan would distract the referee from the apron, and then Race would come in with a two by four to hit Dak, uh, to hit Hacksaw with it. But you know, Hacksaw kicks Race in the midsection. Race drops the lumber. Duggan picks it up and whacks Race right on the head. Throws the two by four out of the ring. Ref turns around. Duggan gets the one two three, and we have a new King of Wrestling, King Hacksaw Jim Duggan, to the delight of the Superdome crowd. And I think that we could get the crowd going nuts at this point with with Duggan going over. I think um, you know the UWF faithful would would definitely see that as a as a positive thing. Um, Duggan, a homegrown boy, um, and I think the bigger story that we have to talk about here is Bobby Heenan. Um, at this point, Bobby has lost two matches of the two that he's been in. Um, his family is hurting. Bobby is is somebody that. We could, we could, you know, I don't think we talked about it, but we could always have Bobby come in later on and join the broadcast booth and and, and just going nuts about all the all the rules breaking against him and, and this, that, and the other thing to, to really put himself over. And one of the great things that Bobby had was he had the wrestling challenge. So no matter what happens, Bobby can always rebuild his men up because he has that voice on that show. So he can always put his guy on the next level. Um, and, I, and I think that's something that we would have to do here with him, um, especially after uh, these first couple matches. Yep, so, so the same thing just as the, just as the first one. He's 0-2 now, and he's on the cart heading to the back, you know, berating race just the same way he did Hercules, you know, not following the game plan, you know, letting Huggin or letting Duggan, you know, come out, let him see him with the 2x4 instead of just whacking Duggan immediately. Yep. So at this point, we've gone through four matches. Uh, before our next match, um, I'm going to go verbatim here. We go backstage, and, and Mean Gene is, is with Demolition and Mr. Fuji. Now, what we've been talking about since the Rumble was that Demolition has been a team that we have been um, spotlighting on shows, that we have been putting over in a big way because they are uh, the future uh, of our tag team division, and they are big, mean, rough, tough guys. Um, they, they had a very good Rumble together. Um over the main event, uh, they got a big win. Uh, that wasn't on TV, but we showed it on Superstars at Saturday night's main event. Again, another team that's highlighted. Um, so at this point, Mr. Fuji and them are talking. Uh, Demolition wearing their mask and ring attire. Fuji is giving himself for all the credit. Um, says that they would not be there without him. Um, I think this is the most vocal that we would use Fuji in his career at this point. 
but I think it, it ties a lot of the storylines together where Fuji is putting himself above his team, um, saying that he is the reason why they're there, saying that this is he's the reason why they're getting the shot at the title, and it has nothing to do with what they're actually doing in the ring. Yeah, so, so that, that brings us to the WWF World Tag Team title match. We've got Demolition with Mr. Fuji versus the champions T Tito Santana and Rick Martel. The riding in the cars with girls, guys. That's Known right. as Strike Force. Um, and, and this is a match that did happen at the original card. Um, you know, uh, I like I like the match that happened. Uh, the pop that Demolition receives was pretty damn good too, um, especially as being uh, dominant heels as they were. So, talk talk to me a little bit about this match. What do we see happening? Well, they were all able to hold on to the titles. The Strike Force was able to hold on to the titles against the likes of the Hart Foundation and the Islanders. But me personally, I think the title run was average at best. They they did not really have an impressive tag team title run. You know, they, they didn't defend the belts at the Survivor Series. And in fact, they were eliminated. They they weren't part of the winning team. <clears throat> but they would here they would get their toughest challenge to date from Axe and Smash. And this match. I mean, honestly, let's be serious. If we're going to put Demolition over, it's got to be a squash. Demolition just dominates the match from the beginning to end, and they win the title in under seven minutes, finishing with the elbow drop off the, the top rope for, for the win. So Demolition is the new tag team champions. Now, talking about you know the backstage interview, Mr. Fuji climbs into the ring, and he is visibly upset. He's telling them that they did not follow his game plan, and and, and they did things their way. So so although they did they win the titles, but Fuji is upset with the way the Demolition did it. Well, De Demolition takes a look at Mr. Fuji, and they're definitely not intimidated. They kind of just grab the title belts. They they simply you know shove the belt in Fuji's face and just just holds him up and climbs out of the ring, and gets on the cart. Fuji at that point sort of just pipes down and gets on the cart with them, and Demolition you know. Go off to the back, holding the titles high as the new World Wrestling Federation Tag Team Champions. And I think they can even use um, they can use those titles as a way to, to work the crowd. Um, I see people cheering for them at this point. Um, I see people giving them a, a nice pop, and uh, you know that's something that Jesse and Gorilla will build up. Um, and you know I hate to say it, but we're definitely using our managers here tonight. And I think people would be seeing that um, obviously something that's lost right now in our current product of the WWE, but. Um, on this night, WrestleMania 4, um, we have new World Wrestling Federation Tag Team Champions, Axe and Smash of Demolition, defeating uh, Strike Force Tito Santana and Rick Martel. So, uh, Jeff, take us back to the to the back here. Um, we've got our uh, a first celebrity sighting with Gary Shandling. Set us up with that. Yeah, so, so Gary Shandling, uh, in the interview area, is, is conducting an interview with the Junkyard Dog who will be competing this evening against the one-man gang. Uh, who The one-man gang defended his manager and uh, attacked Brutus Beefcake you know, after he was cutting Slick's hair. JYD is telling him that he wants to get some revenge for his buddy Beefcake and that every dog has his day, and here in New Orleans, this will be his day. So he's, he's kind of hyping up the match. He's got a little, little bit of extra juice uh, to take on the one-man gang in revenge uh, for the barber. Absolutely, and, and like I said earlier, Junkyard Dog may be the number one guy that came out of Mid-South early on um, as, as the number one babyface. And um, I think Duggan uh, was definitely the UWF number one guy. And at this point, we're, we're setting him up against another UWF guy that he had faced in the past. Um, so this match is a ready-made match. Junkyard Dog versus the one-man gang with Slick. 
Um, so we had some chicanery earlier. Uh, let us know what Slick's doing down here uh, at ringside with the gang. Well, uh, <clears throat> Slick is down there. He's wearing this big old, you know, I, I don't, you know, like like a like a fedora hat. You know, just just a, a big old hat to cover the uh, the beefcake special haircut he received. Uh, he's in the ring with his sign, his newly signed talent, a man who left Beefcake laying in the ring, the One Man Gang. So JYD's music uh, hits comes out on the cart with the signature dog chain. The crowd is up and the dance in. Like I said, you know, in this area, he always had his fans on his side supporting him. So, so you can definitely see the, uh, the the crowd pop when the JYD comes out. And I can so even JYD, see, I can even see JYD coming out with a couple of kids on the cart too. You know what I mean? Really putting over. Um, the atmosphere and how big of a fan favorite he was at this time, because this is really um, his last glimpse of uh, of the mainstream for the UW or for the WWF. So let's let's put it over in a big way. Yeah, yeah, this, this is his last run, definitely, with the WWF here. So, so yeah, he he's over big time. So as the match gets underway, the one man gang definitely gets the advantage, using his size and strength to keep the dog down. Now. The one-man gang is easily six foot eight and 450 pounds, just a monster of a man. So while gang is working over the dog, Brutus the Barber Beefcake comes down the aisle and comes down to ringside and is now stalking Slick to finish the haircut he started. So as he's chasing Slick around the ring, uh, one-man gang sees what's going on, so he goes outside the ring and starts chasing Beefcake. So Slick slides into the ring, followed by Beefcake, and Slick goes out and Beefcake follows him, but then, you know, as the gang's coming back in, the JYD sees him and just uh, gives him a massive clothesline when he's not looking and knocks the one-man one gang onto the mat. JYD then drops a diving headbutt onto the gang for the clean 1-2-3 win and revenge for Beefcake. So Beefcake and the, the dog kind of gets out of the ring quick because he knows that he just scored a big upset victory because nobody really saw him beating a monster of the man like the one-man gang. So him and Beefcake, you know, just kind of get on the cart. The cart starts going, and the, and the crowd's going crazy as uh, as Beefcake and, and JYD, you know, get over on the crowd. And uh, Slick is yelling at Beefcake as he's going back from the ring, saying that the gang's going to get his hands on him. So right now you, you kind of see a, see a feud billing between uh, Beefcake, Slick, and the one-man gang. Oh, absolutely. Um, well, Beefcake, uh, Beefcake and Junkyard Dog versus – one man gang and um, and Butch Reed is is kind of you know what's been set up from this event. Um, I don't think that this this loss hurts the gang that much because of everything that goes into the extra um, extra pieces of the puzzle, if you will. Um, and, and coming out of this, we have to do a good job of rebuilding. Um, not rebuilding. That's not the right word. We have to do a good job of maintaining uh, the gang as as a big as a big, big contender in the future. Um, and that's something that we can do over the next couple months as we head into SummerSlam. Um, but I like, I like JYD getting a big win here. And on top of it, it it's a ready-made feud as we come out. Um, we've now got some, some big contenders. Um, coming out of these first six matches, you can see that Warrior is a big over baby face. We've got Brutus and JYD against Butch and the one-man gang. Duggan, again, has gotten over in a big way. Uh, Valentine, we've gotten him to a, another spot. We've rebuilt him. And then Demolition, new fresh um, fresh tag team champions. Um, you know, we're really pushing our, our momentum forward uh, with what we're trying to do for the rest of the year. So take us back now. Um, we're going to go back 
uh, backstage, and uh, Vanna White is going to be there with none other than Miss Elizabeth. All right, so Vanna White is interviewing Miss Elizabeth, asking her how nervous she is going into the Macho Man's first ever WrestleMania main event heavyweight championship match against the million dollar man, Ted DiBiase. She explained that he's been preparing for the last two months and he's ready to go. But she is interrupted by a delivery of an envelope from a WWF official with a note attached to it. So she, you know, she reads the note, she opens up the envelope, and it appeared to be about $50,000 in cash in there. So she read, reads the note again, she kind of is flustered, and she apologized to Vanna and then said she had to go. So Vanna, you know, as Elizabeth walks off, Vanna closed out the interview saying she doesn't know what the note said, but it must have been pretty serious. Absolutely, and then we can cut back to Gorilla and Jesse, and um, Jesse definitely building this up. Um, and like we talked about earlier, that little promo that we had at the main event with Ted DiBiase saying, I can buy anything I want now. I could even buy Elizabeth if I had to. Um, at this point, it, it, it's just pushing the envelope even more. Um, for what's going to be happening between, um, you know, DiBiase and, and Savage later on in the night. So we go to our next contest, our next contest, the seventh match on the card, and we've got this brand new guy that we we are all pretty high on, um, and that is Bad News Brown, and he is taking on a formidable competitor, uh, somebody who's again got some name value, somebody that we're going to use in the right way, and that is none other than the dot of the Rock, Don Morocco. And he has uh, got superstar Billy Graham with him uh, in his corner. So let's go through this matchup here with uh, Bad News and Morocco. Um, obviously, Bad News had a pretty good win uh, back at the Royal Rumble. Morocco was involved in the match. He had a pretty decent run. Nothing major, nothing offensive. But um, Bad News came out of there looking like a legit stud. Um, and here against Morocco, what do we want uh, coming out of this one? Well, Morocco's taking off his shirt in the corner, and then right as the bell rings, Bad News Brown rushes him and attacks him from behind, quickly gaining momentum over Morocco. And unfortunately, Morocco never got it back. In a semi-squash, Bad News Brown hits a heart punch and then the ghetto blaster on Morocco, and Bad News Brown looks extremely strong in a decisive win, uh, making him look real good as a contender for the heavyweight title. So Bad News Brown goes over Morocco in just under three minutes. And I think the, the big thing here is that um, we talked about that little build earlier between with guys and where do we want to put them. With bad news, we're putting him over big name heavyweight guys so that maybe we can skip that intercontinental title push and put him right up in the upper mid card. Um, a guy that would be looking at a Savage or a Hogan or even a Beefcake or a Duggan down the line and, and uh, putting him in a spot to, to be a legit contender against those fellows in the future. Um, with Morocco and, and Superstar, um, you know, kind of the writing on the wall for both of these guys. Um, you know, Morocco's still got a little bit of life left in him. Superstar, um, not as much. Uh, but coming out of this event, um, you know, we're, we're starting to find a place for Morocco to go so that we can build people from his name value. Uh, use him on, on Superstars and Wrestling Challenge to get wins over uh, jobbers. And then, uh, you know, when it comes to a showcase match, uh, put somebody in the right spot to to get a victory over him and and build some uh, credibility, build some reputation around that. So at this point, we're coming to our ninth match, and uh, we've got the Intercontinental Heavyweight Championship is on the line. Our champion, the Honky Talk Man, coming on a, a pretty historic run at this point, um, and he is going to be facing 
one of the hottest baby faces that we have right now, maybe number three um, on the pecking order, and that is Bam Bam Bigelow. Now, the setup to this contest, obviously we had Bam Bam having a pretty good run at the Rumble. We had Honky coming in um, you know, at the Rumble, number 30, doing a pretty good job at that event, and then uh, you know, losing to Savage but keeping his title. Um, continuing to build up both of these guys as legit contenders. Um, Bam Bam, a big guy. He's got a great look, and he's going up against the, the champion. Um, at this point, Jimmy Hart, uh, you know, again, we're building this guy up to, to say that he's trying to rebuild his credibility and his family. Um, what do we got for, uh, for Honky and Bam Bam at this point? Well, when, when Honky Tonk Man comes out, you know, he doesn't come out on the, you know, the, the, the ring cart. He comes out in a beautiful 1964 pink Cadillac. The place is absolutely against the Honky Tonk Man, who is receiving probably the loudest boos of the evening and honestly the loudest boos since Andre the Giant's entrance at WrestleMania 3. Well, this match, I, I must say, is incredibly one-sided. Bam Bam worked him over inside and outside of the ring, and Honky Tonk was on the move all match long. He could not get any offense started. At one point, Honky Tonk Bam was laid out in the middle of the ring after a body slam. Bam Bam was going to the top rope for a flying headbutt, but right before he was going to jump, Jimmy Hart slides into the ring and grabs Honky and just drags him out of the ring, and they just start taking off uh, to the dressing room, uh, grabbed the title, and just ran. They are literally bailing on the title defense and are willing to take the count out. The Superdome is unglued, throwing trash and whatever else they can at the Honky Tonk Man as he retains the title. Gorilla Monsoon says Bam Bam should get another title match due to getting the win and having an impressive showing, while Jesse kind of argues and says why he should. Uh, why should he? He had, he had a chance to beat Honky and couldn't get the job done. There are many more contenders such as Greg Valentine and Bad News Brown that already have a win tonight and are ready for a title shot. Bam Bam had his chance but didn't get the job done. Uh, Gorilla doesn't agree with that. And then uh, at this point, WrestleMania 4 goes to intermission. Uh, and I think at this point, we've, we've, really, uh, <laughs> we've really put a lot out there for the fans to see. Um, you know, with Honky Tonk Man, uh, you know, getting that victory, we, we've got the fans. They want to see him get beat in the biggest, biggest way. Um, and we can continue this feud on the house shows and, and heading into our next events. Um, but, you know, for the sake of what we've been doing here so far, I think that we, we've gotten in the right direction. Our guys that we want to put over and put into the mainstream, uh, we've got them there. Um, we're heading into an intermission so that we can give the fans a chance to calm down and relax. And um, at this point, we, we've got a lot of good things going. Um, so let's keep that going. Um, Jeff, we're going to take a quick break um, and check in with, with some of our friends at the Place to Be Nation. Um, and we're going to come back and we are going to, we're going to put the finishing touches on the 1988 WrestleMania 4 part of the, place, or the Low Blow Booking Podcast's uh, trilogy of 1988. Um, so we'll be right back. Don't forget to check out our good friends at placetobenation.com. They cover everything from wrestling, MMA, sports, comics, movies, television, music, gaming, and more. They are the home of the one and only Place to Be podcast and exclusively featuring the Kevin Kelly Show and the Steve Carino Show. Placetobenation.com, the only place to be in your pop culture world. 
All right. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Low Blow Booking Podcast. Uh, Jeffrey Jalka and I, of course, are going through the 1988 uh, trilogy. WrestleMania 4 is on the docket this evening. Uh, we've gone through the first half of the show. Let's run through some quick results. Uh, the Ultimate Warrior defeated Hercules. Brutus Beefcake defeated Butch Reed. Greg the Hammer Valentine defeated Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Hacksaw Jim Duggan defeats Harley Race. Demolition defeat the Strike Force to become your new WWF Heavy World Tag Team Champions of the World. Um, and then we had the Junkyard Dog going over the One Man Gang. Bad News Brown defeating Don Morocco. And Bam Bam Bigelow going over the Honky Tonk Man. However, the Honky Tonk Man retains his Intercontinental Championship. Like we've talked about, we've got our guys in, in line to, to do good things for um, the rest of the year. Um, and at this point... Jeff, let's go through. We've got one, two, three, four, five meaty matches to go. Um, and let's talk about our next one. Again, we're looking at uh, WrestleMania 4 in the Superdome. Uh, we're talking about some Mid-South UWF guys. And, and we're bringing it back with two guys that definitely have ties in the Mid-South and UWF. And we're talking about Jake the Snake Roberts taking on Ravishing Rick Rude. Now, if we rewind back to the Royal Rumble, <coughs> excuse me, Ravishing Rick Rude defeated Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. So he definitely got a big win. Jake Roberts had a pretty good showing in the Royal Rumble match itself. And throughout this time, we've started to build up this feud between these two. Two of our premier up-and-coming baby, our heel and baby faces that will definitely uh, play a big role in the rest of our 1988 calendar year. Um, at this point, do we have the Cheryl Roberts angle going? Uh, I did not work it in just yet. Okay. Uh, that is definitely something that 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 we will build on. Uh, as you will see, the results of this match, uh, they will they will continue uh, their feud. But, but before we go ahead, we can talk about the match. Oh, absolutely. Now, and I think that's something that you know that we'll be able to look at in the future and. How can we build that angle into um, into this feud and um, and going forward? So Jake the Snake versus uh, Ravishing Rick Rude. But before we get there, during the intermission, we do actually have a little promo, and um, we're going to be setting some stuff up before we get to that action. So um, we've got it here: Hulk Hogan and Danny DeVito um, are going to be talking, um, and I guess we can kind of let the cat out of the bag now with what our plans are for Hogan and Andre. Is that okay? Yeah, um, we'll, we'll talk about the build for it. Um, you know, Hogan cuts a promo with Danny DeVito. It's concerning the, the rubber match. This, you know, what, one of the, the, the key feature attractions for this was, was Hulk-Andre 3, you know, in order to pack out the Silverdome. Uh, he'll, he'll be, you know, Hogan reminisces about his career and his title run and says that it'll be all over if he loses again to Andre the Giant. He vows to not only beat Andre, but he says he's going to body slam him. And then after he beats Andre, he's looking past him, and he wants a title match against the winner of the main event. And I think Danny DeVito can uh, definitely put forth some fun entertainment there with Hogan. Um, and we'll talk about that build in just a couple minutes. But um, definitely a, a big angle, one of the reasons why we, uh, the people are here tonight. Um, and then after the, the Hogan promo, um, you, we've, we've got that uh, promo for this new event. Um, SummerSlam 1988 held on August 29th 
from Madison Square Garden. That is a show that Scott Criscola and myself will be putting together and uh, delivering to you guys for this 1988 trilogy on the Low Blow Booking Podcast of the WWF. Um, and, and Jesse and Gorilla talk about you know what an event that's going to be from the Mecca um, that is Madison Square Garden. Um, and, and then we come back to the arena. And uh, we talk about Jake the Snake and Ravishing Rick Rude. Um, we've done a little bit of the build here, so let's talk about this contest. What are we looking for? What are we going to get from uh, both of these guys? They originally faced at WrestleMania 4. They went to a time limit draw in the first round of uh, the tournament. It was a very forgettable contest. It wasn't that great. Um, what can we do here to, to make this match something special? Definitely give them a little bit more speed. In that first match, there was just a, a lot of rest holds going on because it's, it's almost like you could tell it was going to be a draw because of just because all the stalling that was going on in the ring. So just eliminate the stalling and have these two great athletes just just go at it with you know speed and flair and, and, and kind of get the job done. It's absolutely a classic wrestling match with both men gaining advantages and having their opportunity to put their opponent away. One thing that stands out from this match is that uh, each was able to counter the other's finishing maneuver, and neither one was successful in hitting that finishing maneuver. You know, Jake the Snake with the DDT and Ravishing Rick Rude with the uh, the the simply Ravishing, you know, kind of like, kind of like that uh, that, root, that reverse uh, yeah, chin, the rude awakening. Yeah, the rude awakening. So at at the nine minute mark, while Roberts is working Rude over in the corner, Rude is able to scoop up Roberts' legs underneath him and is able to roll up Roberts, hook his legs on the top rope and hold Jake down to the mat for the 1-2-3, and the brain is ecstatic with his first win at WrestleMania IV. Uh, Roberts is arguing with the ref uh, about how come he didn't see you know, his feet on the ropes that was, uh, he was using illegal leverage to hold Roberts down. Roberts actually kicks and throws the ref out of the ring and is demanding Rude to come back to the ring and continue to fight you know, as, as he sees uh, Rude and Brain you know, carting off to the... Uh, carting off to the to the back and they're just kind of waving at Robert saying haha you know we, we got one over on you uh, and I think Jake he can tell that story simply on his face um, about how upset he is about the way that things happened um, here with this contest uh, just putting over that story of of how upset he is about what happened um, gorilla and Jesse put over the story as well uh, you know Jesse's putting Rick Rude through the roof um, I like I like all the intangibles of what goes on in that contest and, and where it goes from there because we've got a ready-made feud here that we're going to continue to build off of and, and work off of throughout the summer um, and these are two mainstays that will definitely have um, some some good stuff to come. So uh, at this point Bobby Heenan is now gloating because he has got his win here at WrestleMania 4. Um, his family survived that. Um, there's still some to go with him uh, but for the most part uh, Bobby Heenan at this point ha has solidified himself, uh, got himself back. He's got a new contender um, and something to build off of in the future. Jake the Snake doesn't get hurt by losses. Um, he can he can fight back, and I think that's one of the stories that we're going to tell over the next couple over the next couple months when Scott and I talk about SummerSlam '88. Um, so as we move forward, our tenth match on the card: the Fabulous Rougeau brothers taking on the Hart Foundation. Now I think it's pretty safe to say that the Hart Foundation are, are pretty misused at WrestleMania as a tag team. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. It was it was more of like a, a, a singles competition 
for, for Bret Hart. They were kind of kind of wanted to put Bret in the spotlight uh, towards the end of the Rumble, and they actually uh, he actually feuded with Brad News Brown during the summer of '88 it, uh, on on some of the house shows. Yeah, well, I think in general it, it, at WrestleMania, if you look at at two, they had a pretty decent showing against Andre. At three, the the six man. At four, um, you know, with the Battle Royal. At five. Uh, they defeated Honky and Valentine at six, the Bolsheviks at seven, they lost to, uh, the nasties. Um, I think that none of those matches stand out as a, as a big resume builder for who these guys are and how damn good they were as a tag team. Um, and I think that we can rewrite some of that here. So yeah, they were, they were definitely uh, misused during WrestleMania three cause they didn't even defend the titles. Yep. Uh, I, I, th- I think they felt that, um, they wanted to use the Danny Davis angle more than just having the Hart Foundation. It was pretty much Danny Davis versus the British Bulldogs and Tito Santana. So, so the the tag team belt was literally buried at WrestleMania three, and that hurt him quite a bit too. Absolutely. So at this point, um, going back to the Rumble, we had let's talk about the Rougeos first. Um, Jacques and Raymond, um, you know, trying to find their spot in the WWF. We talked about them acting. A little bit more heelish during the Rumble match itself. Um, they they were uh, kind of working against everybody, not really not really having uh, anything um, that that they were doing uh, that would lead them on one way or the other. And then um, the Hart Foundation. Now Bret Hart has a very memorable Rumble. He goes almost forty minutes before being eliminated um, at that point, um, and he's starting to get a little bit of pop. Uh, Jesse and Gorilla, Jesse and Vince on the shows, uh, Gorilla and, and Heenan, they're putting Brett over as a real contender and, uh, you know, talking about the Hart Foundation, the excellence of execution, um, and almost pseudo-turning them uh, throughout the way that they do things. The Hart Foundation are now starting to get a couple pushes, um, you know, starting to, starting to look good. However, on the other side, with the Rougeaus, they have now found some, uh, with that, they, they've kind of pushed themselves away from Jimmy Hart, and Jimmy Hart has found a new tag team, and that is Jacques and Raymond, the fabulous Rougeau brothers. So at this point, we've done a double turn over the past uh, three to four months. We, we've put in both of these teams over in big ways um, on the TV shows to lead to this event. Uh, the, the falling out of the Hart Foundation and Jimmy Hart um, definitely led to this moment where now they get a chance to fight um, a team that uh, Jimmy is now uh, assuming the managerial duties of. Um, so let's talk about this match. What do we want going on here? Well, the first thing is uh, I want to point out is when the Rougeau brothers come out, they have new music playing with a song called, uh, entitled All American Boys, and they're waving small handheld American flags. Uh, they, they, want to, uh, they, they, they want to take up residence in the United States they, they, they want to kind of almost mock the American fans. So the, the fans see that, and they just immediately boo their new persona. And actually, they are fully behind the former heel team of the Anvil and the Hitman uh, in this match. And I think that um, throughout our TV, we can start to build that, that love relationship for the Hart Foundation. And like we talked about earlier, Jimmy Hart, you know, at this point, he's a pretty damn magnetic heel that people aren't going to be very happy to see. So um, with that, we can really secure uh, the Hart Foundation getting uh, getting a pop and, and getting through our story here of, of turning them babyface. Absolutely. And uh, 
So, so this is a great tag team match. You, you always want to showcase uh, your tag team talent, and you've got two of the two of the all time best in the Anvil and the Hitman and Jacques and Raymond. Uh, the, the, the way that they're able to execute quick tags and, and cut off the ring and uh, use uh, quick double team maneuvers, you know, before the count of five, you know, the other guys out of the ring. So, so you definitely want to use this, uh, you know, you give them, give them a good solid, you know, eight or nine minutes to really work and, and kind of use this almost as like a cool down match. You know, fans will be into it, but there just won't be a lot of um, hopping and popping going on. Because you know you've got you you still you you don't want to wear them out before the uh, the the big matches coming up. I agree. So yeah, at the at the eight or nine minute mark, um, uh, Jimmy causes the Hart Foundation to lose the match. Uh, he threw the megaphone into the ring when the ref was distracted, allowing Jacques to hit Bret Hart on top of the head and get the one two three. Uh, Gorilla, Gorilla and Jesse immediately explain that the Rougeos will be catapulted to the top of title contention because they beat the former tag team champions, uh, the Hart Foundation. And, and the thing with this card, if you look back at the results and the way that we've done it, um, it is a way to build to our um, our big moment, uh, our, our big climax, if you will, of, of what the event is going to be. Um, with with this event, Jimmy Hart has now solidified himself as a as a grade A manager. Um, Bobby Heenan, uh, you know, gets a big challenger in Rick Rude. Um, Mr. Fuji has got tag team champions, but there's dissension there. Slick has got his guys ready, but um, at the fault of losing his own hair. So um, at this point, we we put some guys in positions. I don't think the Rougeos and Hearts are. Are hurt at this point that you know there's definitely some more some more meat and potatoes for them to go through and and Scott and I will talk about that but um, now we come to our big first part of our double main event now earlier on we had Hulk Hogan talking to Danny DeVito Hulk says that you know if he doesn't win tonight it may be all over and that is because we're adding a special stipulation out of this contest Back at the main event, Hogan lost the title to Andre, who gave it to DiBiase. Throughout that time, we've seen Hogan try to become the number one contender. However, that is Savage's spot because Savage earned that right due to the Royal Rumble. So Hogan has been pleading his case to President Jack Tunney. He's been pleading his case to the fans. And he's definitely been pleading his case to DiBiase. However, DiBiase says... If you want a shot at this title, you're going to have to put more than, than anybody else on the line. You are going to have to put your career on the line. And, and like we talked about earlier, uh, Hogan says that he is already looking forward to the, the, the main event and he wants to know who the winner is going to be so he can challenge him. Um, now with this match, it's Hogan versus Andre. Hogan's career is on the line. Andre, with DiBiase's backing, has one sole purpose, and that is to destroy Hulkamania. Now, a fun fact, a little over eight years prior to this, in the Superdome in August of 1980, Hogan and Andre actually did battle in one of my favorite cards of all time that saw uh, JYD versus Michael Hayes coming off the blinding angle um, in the in the cage uh, with the dog collar. So there's some history here. Both of these guys are huge names. Both of these guys are known throughout the world, and especially in the Mid-South region. So 
we have got, um, you know, the fans definitely are, are here to see this one. And, and Jeff, when we talk about this match, um, what, what do we want to see? Where does it go? Uh, well, you, you, you really have to uh, focus on putting Hogan over. But at the same time, it's no easy task when you're talking about Andre the Giant, one of the greatest superstars of all time. So when Andre comes out, he doesn't want to come out alone. Now, DiBiase is getting ready for his match. So he sends the bodyguard Virgil out to the ring uh, with Andre the Giant. And as they're carting out, you know, it's the same thing as WrestleMania 3. You see the garbage. You see the trash going. Andre, Andre looks, you know, he's got a big smile on his face because he knows he's about to end Hulk Hogan's career. And I think Gorilla would be great to be painting the picture of, what the heck is he doing out here? He doesn't manage Andre and this, that, and the other. And, and Jesse is talking about being financial partners and this and that. And um, I just think it would be a really a really fun atmosphere to, to set up this monumental uh, rubber match. Hogan wins at WrestleMania three. Uh, Andre won at the main event. Here we are. Uh, one year in the making, the third time's the charm, um, and, and let's see what happens. Yeah, definitely with Virgil, you know, he, he is a game changer. You know, he can get involved in the match. You know, he can either distract the referee or, or Andre can kind of back the referee in the, in the, in the, the ropes while, while Virgil you know, chokes him out on the ring, and you get you know, just that. Uh, you, you get Virgil sticking and, and really you know, putting <laughs> Hogan in, in perilous moments. You know, the, the crowd's going crazy, you know, chanting Hogan. They don't, you know, this could be the last time that they ever see Hulk Hogan. So Vir Virgil, Virgil climbs up onto the ring ropes uh, to distract the referee because uh, Hogan had Andre down. So Hogan kind of you know, shakes the top rope and kind of whips him, flips him over the top rope and immediately backs off the ropes and drops the big leg on Virgil, and Virgil is out. Virgil is just he, – he's, he's unconscious. He's on the floor. Uh, Virgil's done. So, you know, Andre comes walking to him. Hogan picks him up, body slams the big giant, comes off the ropes, hits the leg drop, the one, two, three, so, sort of like the, the same ending at WrestleMania three. And Hulk Hogan not only saves his career, but saves his title opportunity to become champion again by beating Andre the Giant. Andre the Giant's upset, uh, kind of just rolls out of the ring. He, he literally picks, Virgil is out. He literally picks up Virgil, puts him on his shoulder, gets onto the cart, and they roll out. Uh, as, as Andre the Giant is pointing his finger at Hulk Hogan, saying, you know, I'm, you, know you might have gotten this time, but I'll get you again. And, you know, Hogan's in the ring. He's, uh, he's, he's playing to the crowd, uh, get, giving him the final show that he always does. It, and I think it, it tells a good story there. Andre has, um, you know, been dispatched by DiBiase. Um, he falls short in his attempt to end Hulkamania. Um, Gorilla and Jesse put it over. The Superdome crowd is is hot for this one. Um, you know they they know that history has just been made, um, and and you know for all intents and purposes they may be tired at this point. We've gone through eleven matches, um, some emotional matches uh, here and there, um, but definitely give them a chance to breathe. And I think this is a perfect opportunity for um, something to slow them down, a popcorn match, if you will. Um, and, and to get some guys on the card that, that we still want to be relevant uh, in the future. So we've got an eight-man uh, tag team contest coming up here. We've got the British Bulldogs and the Killer Bees taking on the Islanders and the Bolsheviks. Now, the real meat and potatoes of this is the Islanders and the Bulldogs. 
coming off uh, their feud from the Rumble where uh, the Bulldogs got Matilda back but lost the match. They then got their revenge um, at uh, the main event, uh, beating the Islanders. So um, at this point, we're looking at capping that feud off, uh, getting, getting uh, them a big win, um, going a little bit of time here, um, and, and really showcasing the Bees and the Bulldogs as, as good contenders, and then the Islanders as Bolsheviks as nameplates, um, somebody that we can still use in the future because we do have some teams coming up uh, that we need to build and, and get ready for the future. Yeah, so to, you definitely put the bees and bulldogs over here. Now, wh now, when we talk about time, we've got to strategically get the crowd back up again for a big main event match. You know, they, they kind of, you know, it, it was a, a big time drama with Hulk Hogan and, and, and almost ending his career. So we're going to give, we're actually going to do about 15 minutes in this match. Uh, give the, the bees and bulldogs an opportunity to showcase their work. Let the Islanders showcase their strength. Uh, the Bolsheviks. You know, let them showcase a little bit. So we've got eight guys out here, so you don't have to worry about wearing these guys out. You know, because you know they're, they're, there's plenty of there's there's plenty of opportunity in the ring to go around. I think uh, the the Killer Bees and the Bulldogs they both hit their finishing moves. You know, the the Bees hit the double drop kick on uh, on Haku, while the uh, the Bulldogs hit that you know that that press slam to a headbutt onto. Uh, you know, onto, onto Volkov, and they both, you know, get a, a double win, and the Bees and Bulldogs, you know, advance in, in the title contention race. And, and, uh, on, and on top of that, we've got them going over, uh, we've got the Rougeos going over, and we've got Demolition going over, so um, we definitely have some contenders now. We've got some tag teams uh, in the mix and ready to go, and plus we've got some tag teams coming in uh, over the summer that we may be able to use and, and, and do some good stuff with. So uh, pretty good, pretty good outing here for... For our tag team division as we've gone through WrestleMania. Hey, real quick, remember you, you spoke about how the Hart Foundation was misused during WrestleMania. Yep. The Killer Bees is a tag team that was definitely misused during the WrestleMania runs. Well, I think during uh, their WWF run in general. Yeah, I, I love the Killer Bees. They, they were one of the first uh, wrestlers I saw watching wrestling when I was a young kid. I just remember that the, the Killer Bees would always go over, you know, on TV. That you know that that was all those you know. In eighty five, uh, late eighty five into eighty six, you know they were always in, in like a showcase match against uh, you know either the the Moon Dogs or, or another team like that. You know Iron Mike Sharp and Barrio. So, and you look at WrestleMania two, they were in a battle royal, meaningless. WrestleMania three, they were in the match before Hulk Andre, so nobody cared. I actually thought they had a great showing in that match, uh, but you know Hacksaw ruined it. And then, you know, WrestleMania 4, the actual one, they were just in a battle royal again, and then that's it. You don't hear from them again. Uh, I, I, as a kid, I, I always thought they were exciting, fun to watch. Uh, but I, I think the drug use uh, for B. Brian Blair probably uh, helped push them towards the back of the card. I, I agree. I, you know, I, I don't see that much value in it because I guess I only watched them on pay-per-view because I was just born at this point. Um, when this show's going on, I'm, a, I'm about a year and a half old, so... Uh, you know, when I saw the Killer Bees, it was on those pay-per-views. I didn't get to watch the actual uh, TV matches. So um, to see them in that light, you know, that's what I saw. I didn't see them in, in high-profile stuff. So um, I agree, and I like what we use them for here. Um, they're a team that, again, we can build up on TV to, to have somebody like Demolition uh, go against in the future. So um, we've gone through a lot of stuff, and, and now is the time. Uh, the heavyweight championship of the world is on the line. It's our 
our 13th and final match of the card. Um, we, we've got plenty of time for these guys to go. This match was built from the Royal Rumble, built from the main event, built from Saturday night's main event. Um, again, going back, Savage wins the 1988 Rumble and earns a shot at uh, the world champion at this show. DiBiase uh, is given the title by Andre at the main event. Uh, he lets it slip that he's going to buy Elizabeth at Saturday night's main event. We continue the feud. I believe we had Andre and, and Savage uh, going one-on-one -on -one at that point. Um, so that feud continues, and, and it's come to this event, uh, this climactic uh, contest between these two guys. DiBiase has got a huge name in the Mid-South, in the UWF era. Um, you know, definitely one of the most successful guys to come out of there. Um, Randy Savage, without a doubt, one of the hottest baby faces and wrestlers in the entire world at this point. Um, so let's talk about any, any anything else that we want to add to this contest. Well, um, as you know, DiBiase was a big time fan favorite in uh, the Mid South region. He was, you know, he was probably their Hulk Hogan. So with that, what what you want to do is you need to build the heat for this match. So. You know how usually the uh, the heel will come out first, and then the uh, the baby face will come out afterwards. Kind of doesn't really depend on who has the title. Uh, we're gonna have Savage come out with Elizabeth first on on the ring cart, and the place is just gonna go absolutely crazy. You know they're, they're gonna you know Savage is gonna you know go around the ring, you know stand on the ropes, and, and the place is gonna go crazy. Then all of a sudden you're gonna hear the music hit with the money, and They'll, you'll see the money kind of falling from the sky, and you'll hear a boo, you know, because because nobody likes the rich man. So out comes not a ring cart, but a uh, you know a hundred thousand dollars stretch Rolls Royce, just going slowly down the ring, and uh, you know you know del delivering Ted DiBiase. So as the car stops and gets out of the ring, who comes out first? Andre the Giant just kind of throws everything off because, uh, you know, Jesse will say, well, Virgil was knocked out. You know, Vir Virgil could not continue, so he's got to bring somebody down to the ring with him. Who better than the big guy, Andre the Giant? Yep, and uh, going going along with that, um, kind of the same build as we had in, at the original WrestleMania 4 with that main event. I personally like the event. I, I, I like WrestleMania 4 the original way, and I like what we've done here, especially with this main event matchup, because I think this main event match has more meat and potatoes. It's got more build. Um, and, and with that, Savage, of course, comes down um, you know, with Elizabeth, who looks just absolutely magnificent, um, you know, setting the stage for, for, this, for this great contest that we're about to have. Um, so talk to me a little bit about the match. What do we see happening? Um, and, and let's take it from there. Well, Andre is going to cause savage fits uh, during the match. He's going to try to distract the referee. He's going to try to distract Savage. Uh, you know, Andre will grab at his feet when he gets near. So, so Savage will complain to the ref, but no luck because the ref's not seeing it. So as the match goes on, uh, Savage was able to throw DiBiase out of the ring. Andre turns his back to Savage to kind of help DiBiase up. So Savage wants to dish out a little bit of uh, Andre's medicine. He comes off the top rope and tries to hit Andre with a double axe handle. Hits him clean, 
But Andre doesn't even flinch. He just turns around and stares at Savage with that evil look in his eye. So Savage, you know, not necessarily afraid, but now in like a cautious position, kind of kind of walks backwards and goes around to Elizabeth, whispers in her ear and sends her off. So Elizabeth goes running uh, d- down the aisle and, and Savage gets back in the ring. So, so they're definitely uh, working the match over well, but DiBiase got an advantage with, you know, Andre would, would, would grab a hold of, of uh, Savage and, and kind of beat him up a little bit while the ref's back was turned, throw Savage back in the ring. Now DiBiase has his way. And then at one point, he gets the million-dollar dream, and he's fading. But next thing you see, you see, you know, Hulk Hogan uh, being led uh, down to the ring by Elizabeth, and, and here he comes to kind of even up the odds. So as Savage is in the uh, is in the sleeper hold, Andre's yelling at the ref, "Ring the bell!" So when the ref turns around, Hogan goes into the ring and just comes across with like a like a like a like a running elbow uh, to the forehead of uh, of DiBiase and kind of scoots out of the ring real quick. And just as the ref turns around, he sees both men just laying there on the ground. He doesn't know what to do, so he just starts you know with the the count, you know the double count. Savage is able to get up and uh, get the advantage on DiBiase. Uh, scoops him up for a big slam. So as as uh, DiBiase, excuse me, as Savage is climbing to the top rope to drop the elbow, Andre gets up on the ring, but Hogan comes around and then just starts hitting Andre, kind of distracts him. So Savage continues his climb to the top. Uh, everybody's on their feet in the Superdome. Uh, Savage comes off with the elbow, you know, hooks the legs and uh, gets the one, two, three count. And uh, Savage is now the new World Wrestling Federation heavyweight champion. And one of the big things, obviously, the difference between the way that we did that and the way that it actually happened, instead of using the chair, um, Hogan comes in with the elbow, um, you know, builds up a little bit more credibility with Savage being the one to finish off DiBiase. Um, I like it. I like it a lot. And and DiBiase goes down. Hogan and and Savage celebrate. Uh, Savage gets the world title. It's it's been a build. Especially coming off of uh, you know WrestleMania three to to where he was at at the Survivor Series to where he was at at the Rumble winning the Rumble and then now coming to to this point um, and one of the the slow things that we can talk about is this actually builds up our Rumble this actually builds up the Royal Rumble for next year to make it that much more um, exciting because um, at this point now whomever wins that Rumble has got a shot at the World Title and and we can see that that shot can be cashed in and. And really be, uh, you know, an ultimate opportunity for somebody. Um, And and Savage did that here tonight. Yeah, in closing, now, since Hogan won his match, he now has a title shot against Savage. So, you know, Savage will shake his hand and thank him, but they're not just so chummy as they were during the original WrestleMania 4 card. You know, Savage shakes his hand, says, thanks for taking care of the big guy while I finished off DiBiase, but he kind of... You know, Savage has always been kind of like a loner, you know, and he lets Hogan know, you know, now it's about this, this title. So we're not, you know, thank you, but, you know, we're not friends. Yep. And and I think that it goes on that, but it also goes on um, Hogan passing the torch, if you will, a little bit, um, you know, saying that this is okay, um, you know, with with, uh, Savage being the champion. And um, I think it it serves a lot of purposes. And, um, you know, Jesse kind of puts over Savage because he's a Savage guy. So. Um, overall, um, a lot of things happen in this time frame, and and uh, with it, we get a lot of great things that come out. So again, let's do a quick rundown of the entire card. 
Um, quick results. First off, we had the Ultimate Warrior going over Hercules. We had Brutus Beefcake going over Butch Reed. Uh, Greg the Hammer Valentine going over Steamboat. Hacksaw Jim Duggan defeating Harley Race. Demolition defeating Strike Force to win the World Tag Team Championships. The Junkyard Dog defeated the One Man Gang. Bad News Brown defeated the Don Morocco. Bam Bam Bigelow defeated Honky Tonk Man by countout, and Honky retains his Intercontinental Championship. Ravishing Rick Rude defeated Jake Roberts. The Rougeau Brothers defeated the Hart Foundation. Hogan versus Andre with the uh, career on the line. Hulk Hogan defeats Andre the Giant. The Killer Bees and the uh, British Bulldogs defeat the Islanders and the Bolsheviks. And then our main event, the Royal Rumble winner, Randy Macho Man Savage, defeats the Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase, to win the WWF Heavyweight Championship of the World. Um, what an event. Live from the Superdome. Uh, any closing comments that we have here, Jeff, as, as we begin to wrap up? Absolutely. When, when looking at WrestleMania 4 and how we were going to build this up, we immediately knew that we had to just you know destroy the card. We, we could not have a tournament because there was really – what really lacked in WrestleMania 4 that we really wanted to use was storylines. You really can't have storylines with the tournament because, you know, they, I mean, you could sort of build storylines there, but it's, it's, you're limited. You're really limited with the tournament. And, uh, you know, second, you know, having it at Trump Plaza, that kind of, they lost money. Uh, they lost probably a million and a half pay-per-view buys prior from WrestleMania 3. The Clash of the Champions might have had something to do with that, but I think the lack of juice, uh, as far as storylines go, for for WrestleMania four, also you know lost money. So when when a company loses money like that, we we want to turn that around. So I, I, me personally, you know, in the the weeks that we've been going over this, you know, we've spent probably ten hours uh, building up the card. You know, match placement, who's going to face who. You know, and 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 how are we going to you know make this a successful event? I really think we knocked it out of the park. Absolutely, and I'm looking forward to uh, what our fans have to say. Um, at this point, uh, we, we've put together uh, two shows of our trilogy, uh, the Royal Rumble 1988 with Dave Hall and myself, and now uh, with me and Jeff Jalka here, we've put together uh, WrestleMania IV uh, live from the Superdome, and now it's the turning point for us. How can we use the stuff that... We have set up for these first two shows in this first four months of 1988 to build up our summer and make it that much more exciting, that much better. Um, and that's what Scott Criscolo and myself are going to be doing uh, the next time that we talk to you here on the Low Blow Booking Podcast in January. We'll be coming at you with um, the summer of 1988, especially SummerSlam 1988, coming at you live from Madison Square Garden. Um Jeff, any final comments here as we close up? Well, I, I would just like to thank all the listeners uh, for listening. Uh, this is an exciting uh, project that, that you've allowed me to be a part of, and I'm just really thankful that I've had a, a part of it, you know, because I, I get to work on my creativity a little bit, you know, and, and it, it's just been a lot of fun. It's, it's, it's been a, a great use of my, uh, my free time. Absolutely, and I, th- I want to thank you too because you do put a lot of hard work in um, – I know that when we put stuff like this together, we, we like to do a rough draft, a foundation, and then build it from there. And, and that's something that the two of us have put together. And, um, and I think that the fans are really going to like it. Um, definitely let us know. Again, uh, the Low Blow Booking Podcast coming at you on iTunes and Podbean. 
Um, check us out. We also have a Facebook page, so make sure that you come and, and check that out. Make sure If you want to join, definitely jump in. Um, we're always looking for feedback on what we're doing and um, any shows in the future. Um, I know on the Hopper, I've been talking to Stephen Graham. Uh, we're looking at possibly a uh, WWF and All Japan joint show um, uh, through some of those years. I know Dave Hall and I still have uh, a summit to to go through. We did the 1989 summit, and uh, you know we're going to be looking to come back in 1990 and see how things could change there. Um, my friend Derek Larue, he and I are looking at uh, what would a 1987 SummerSlam look like. Um, if we were to put that show together. So um, some fun things on the hopper. I always have that one that's the glimmer in my eye, uh, and that is, of course, the invasion angle. Um, what I would like to do differently with that, um, using the people that were there at that time and how they could have used their resources a lot better. Um, so, hey, we've got a lot of life left in the Low Blow Booking Podcast. We're always looking for new ideas, um, more people to, to give us a listen and, and give us a like, give us a share. So um, let us know what you think. Uh, Jeff, I think, uh, you know, that kind of wraps up our show here tonight. So, um, I want to thank you for joining me and I want to thank all of our listeners for joining in. Um, and now we are going to close out with the ending of WrestleMania four. Thanks a lot, Jeff. All right. See Yes.